this is my the second quote that I heard my grandma Claire said. It's not being selfish when you make sure that you're okay. So this is me having my conversation with my grandma, my mom, my mom, my mom. And we're going to have this conversation now. Uh, She's right beside me in my heart. I feel her presence beside me, but she's in my heart. I, I said, Mom, there's more religious doubts that I need to express to you. And she said, I am always... Had an open, open ears. I always have open ears to what you have to say. I said, I, I want to read to you this story in the Bible that, to be honest, I feel like it's fucking me up, Mom. Oh, oh, babe, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna help you with your emotional state. Let me know what's going on. It's about Jephthah's daughter. Sometimes later referred to as Selah or as Iphis is a figure in the Hebrew Bible whose stories were counted in Judges chapter 11. The judge Jephthah had just won a battle over the Ammonites and vowed that he would offer the first thing that came out of his house as a burnt offering to Yahweh, God. However, his only child and unnamed daughter came out to meet him dancing, playing a tambourine. Verse 34, she encouraged Jephthah to fulfill his vow, verse 36, but asks for two months to weep for her virginity, verse 38. After this period of time, Jephthah fulfilled his vow and offered his daughter. The majority opinion among commentators is that Jephthah killed his daughter as an act of human sacrifice. There is, however, a minority opinion that Jephthah's daughter spent the rest of her life in seclusion. This is based on considerations such as weeping for her virginity would make no sense if she were about to die, although it would be sensible in light of the biblical commandment to be fruitful and multiply quotations, which she would now no longer be able to fulfill. Commentators holding to the minority view include David Kim High, Kale, and Delitzich, James B. Jordan, and Job's Witnesses. Later Influences. Uh, Jephthah's daughter is not given a central role in many pre-medieval texts. The major exception being the first century Libra Antiquitam Antiquitatum Biblicarum of of Pseudophilo, which devoted an entire chapter to her and gave her the name of Sela. The French scholar Peter Albillard, D. 1142, that's the date, Praise Celia in his lament, Planktus Virginum Israel Superphilia Japte, in a letter to his lover, Heloise D'Argentil. Ablard also portrayed Celia as a model for monastic women who devoted their lives to God. In other medieval Christian texts, Jephthah's daughters were portrayed as a type of Virgin Mary. Her death was likened to the purification of the Virgin. Ew. I'm being triggered. That's why I'm sounding like that. During the medieval period, some Jewish communities refrained from drinking water from wells and rivers for a few hours at four key times of the year. A custom called the Tukafa, 
In the 12th century, Rabbi Judah the Pious wrote that the Tekufa, the failure of the month of Tishur, was observed because of Jephthah's daughter. Jephthah's daughter. Jephthah's daughter is called Adab by the Order of the Eastern Star. It's one of its five heroines um, representing obedience to duty. And mom, now that I've read you this story, you know what is really pissing me the fuck off? Is that this same shit stain is considered in the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Faith in verse... 32 of chapter Hebrews 11. Mom, that's another reason why I am offended by how religion, faith, spirituality are conducted today. Son, I'm angry with you. I'm pissed off with you. I feel that it's fucking me up too. It's pissing me the fuck off too. Because an abuser is considered a man of God. A killer is seen as a man of God. A misogynist is seen as a man of God. And, Mom, when I was five years old, I had to weep for my virginity. Son, what I want to say to you is that you're pure to me, and I don't mean virginity wise. What I mean is you have a you have a heart that is my silver and gold metaphorically and i hate that that you were sex shamed and rape shamed and that slut shaming was brought your way and I want to kill all the motherfuckers that did no damn good shit to my beautiful baby 
Um, I have more righteous indignation. There's a story of Lot. Angels tell him to go, his wife included. She looks back, pillar of salt, and there's no men around. Lot's daughters get him drunk, and Lot gets them pregnant. Moabites is where it comes from. And Lot is considered in the Hall of Faith, even though he offered his daughters to be raped by an army of males. I don't call them men because that's insulting to gentlemen like me. So, an attempted rapist and a rape culturalist and someone who could have had his daughters gang raped and not just solo raped he's considered the hall of faith and grandma makes me fucking angry and she says son Shit, shit, shit. That never wished ever happened. If I was around during those days, she said, she's saying now, I would have busted Cap and Lot's ass. And I would have rescued the daughters and stabbed to death all the village dudes in the city. And probably would have reprimanded the angels for not stepping in sooner. Mom, thank you for articulating our shared feelings. You're probably wondering what does that have to do with my grandma's quote, my mom's quote, it's not being selfish, make sure you're okay. Think deeply, but as you think deeply, I'll answer your question. I talk to my mom about everything. I don't make her say what I want her to say. She empathizes with me. And so I'm making sure I'm okay. That's the best way I can make sure I'm okay is if I have heart-to-heart talks with my mom who is in heaven now. There's more about the psych ward that I need to share. There were, I was in, in the main room of Washington Hospital Center Psych Ward Division. This is late 2018.
And there were some times, there was this lady in particular who would have conversations with the window and the heater. I'm not making fun, but this is what happened. And then she would look at me, and I would look at her nervously like, okay, are you trying to... Um, what what are you trying to do? I hope you're not trying to start a thing with me because I am in no position to respectfully defend myself because any way I want to defend myself will have me stay longer. So please, in the name of trying to hold on to the values that my grandma Claire and I agree on, don't step on me. Don't even try. This is what I'm thinking. She started smiling. So I stopped looking nervous once I saw her smile. And she would compliment me on my looks, my intelligence, and my positive demeanor. And she was the uh, one of the main ones encouraging me to get out and having the nurse and everybody get me out. And then she would go to have conversations with the window and the heater. Then there's another guy who sometimes he would have heated arguments with uh, another lady late at night. About 2 a.m., 3 a.m. This is at the psych ward. And my door was open. He would walk by my door back and forth. My roommate was asleep. I did not really get any sleep. I only got two hours of sleep in my entire weekend. I was up all the time. And they were constantly checking my blood pressure. My blood pressure was rising. It was never at the point where it was dangerous, but it would rise slowly every time they would check me. And that's what made them say, oh, we got to get you out even faster. We really need to get you out of here because... You, your blood pressure was fine when you came in. It was all, it was all right. It was it was good enough. They say your blood pressure was at the good enough levels where you didn't have to worry. But every time we've been checking, your pressure's been going up. And so we've been talking with the nurses about, okay, Monday we really need to get you out because that's the only way you can have healthy blood pressure. My blood pressure is healthy low. It's... Always oh, been at normal levels, you know. Never, never had it high. And I remember they said, "If we get you out on Monday," and they and they said, "I'm sorry, not if. When we get you out on Monday, I will be." It will mean a lot to me to make sure that you take a shower because you haven't been showering this whole weekend because um, because of your depression that you've told us that you suffer from. And so we're going to work with you on, you know, get you showered up before you leave. You know, if, you, if it will mean a lot if you take one shower. So I did. Took the shower. There's hair around me, but I never stepped on the hair because a lady with a lot of hair showered before me. So I would stay in the center. 
Okay, did you touch there and get out? No, I hopped over the hair and I was fine. Um, they took out her dirty clothes along with clean clothes. They had everything about her removed out, but they didn't clean up the hair yet. So I had to stay in the center. The hair was around me, but not close to me. It was just around me. So I'd hop over the hair and hop over and hop over the hair again to to be okay. And the washer and dryers dried and washed good enough. They weren't all that great, but they were good enough where I wasn't wrinkled. I was fine. I walked out and my roommate walked out behind me. About five minutes, I saw him in my walking in my direction because he's like, hey, man, I got out. Cool, man. Thank you. Help me get out. I remember swapping lunches during that time. You know, I remember... Um, Um, we would swap like you know how in certain school systems where you swap milks me and my roommate me and one of my um, pe- uh, people we would uh, somebody I was real cool with we talked he and I talked all the time we would swap uh, milks he he liked regular milk. I liked chocolate milk. And we would swap milks. We would swap food together all the time. Um, I don't mind sharing this because people do this all the time. When people eat, we swap food. We eat each other's food. Sometimes that happens. So I'm not saying anything illegal nor immoral. This is a very prevalent part of human nature. It's quite normal. It's quite normalized. So, the foods I liked, he would have on his plate, he would give to me, and the foods he liked, I would put on my plate and give to him, because the foods that sometimes we were given, we didn't like, but we still were hungry, like, we got to still eat, so we would swap food. Sometimes they didn't know, sometimes they did, they're like, well, as long as there's no problem, and they really are eating, and and their mood is okay... It is what it is. They didn't really care. And I remember um, when I first got into the ward, I was super quiet. I did not talk at all. And then when they started looking at me, I would give them the saddest looking look at anybody. And they were very, very alarmed. Like, but... We, we we get this feeling that he's not a troublemaker, he's not belligerent, he's not rude, he's not obnoxious. Something bad and evil happened to this person. So they started talking to me. I was honest. I said, look, I will do whatever y'all tell me to do. You say anything to me, like order, I'll do it, regardless of how I feel. Um, but to be honest, I'm trying my best to get out of here as soon as I can because I'm not supposed to be here a whole week. I'm not supposed to be here at all, but hey, I tried my best not to be here, but I'm here and there's nothing I can do about it. I thought being happy all the time and doing well in school and 
behaving in ways that are respectful and respectable would keep me from here, but maybe that was enough to keep me from here, but well, I'm here, so I'll just do the best I can to be positive. I can't guarantee that I won't hide my emotions because obviously right now I can't, so um, it is what it is. And I just shrugged my shoulders, tears fell down my face, and I just looked down on the ground. I didn't make eye contact with him anymore. And I'm starting to feel a little tear up in my right eye right now, as you can hear it in my voice, the tears in my voice. And I said, um, I'ma just make, I'ma just make lemons out of lemonade. And I said, I have nothing more to say. I'm done. And, uh, wow, I'm really feeling it right now. I can feel the tear coming. And I remember they looked at me with tears in their eyes, speechless. And they would just check up on me like literally every five minutes. Sometimes every minute they were like, you okay, you okay, you okay, you okay. And there are times where I didn't even have an appetite. A lot of times I didn't eat, but I would eat enough where I didn't have a sore throat and I didn't have a gurgling stomach. I had no appetite. My stomach didn't even have any urges to eat. And that's saying something because um, usually... If I don't eat my stomach, my I'll get a headache and my stomach will go, right? My stomach will gurgle. But that didn't happen. And I remember they got really scared. They said, you're not hungry? I said, I'm hungry for a better life outside of here. I'm already making plans on how my life will be better as we're talking right now. I'm too busy planning things. I'm just, I can't eat and drink here. But I plan on, you know, drinking compassion and eating empathy after I get out of here. That's when they got really, really sad. And they said, we need to, and they said, okay, can you call so-and-so? At first I got, I was I was internally alarmed, but I didn't show it. Like, what the hell? Are they trying to keep my ass in here longer? I hope the fuck not. Those are my exact words in my head. So they called somebody. And, and I heard them say these words that made the alarm disappear dissipate, you know. They said, get him out of here Monday. I, I wish we I wish you could do it this weekend, but it's against our policy because, you know, staff is not as numerous on the weekend. So what I need you to do is Monday afternoon you get our Antonio out of here. And while they said that, 
As soon as they said Monday, right? They looked at me and started smiling. I remember that. And they, um, after the phone calls over, because I heard the other people on the phone say, yes, we'll get them out of here Monday. They walked over to me because the phones were like a foot apart from me. So they walked over to me, says, we're going to do the best we can to help you to leave here. And we're so amazed by you that we can't even find words to describe how we're feeling. But we're going to do our best to help you recover. And so I remember during that time, I was I was in a situation where there are some people who are already in the area I was in. They were feeling the effects of drugs, right? Some of them were, who were admitted came in there high, so their belligerence was showing, you know, mean comments, saying disrespectful things about the food that they were providing. And so I remember being in that room, and one of them turned and looked at me. I said, I said to myself, God damn it. Like, I never opened my mouth nor lip-synced how I felt. It was just my brain thinking, damn, I hope, why do people keep looking at me? I'm already feeling fucked with since five, and now y'all trying to fuck with me? Now you're going to fuck with me, and I'm in a ward. If I dove right off on your ass, then my ass going to be up in this motherfucker the rest of my goddamn life. That's what I'm thinking. And... He started smiling and cracking jokes for me. And on the inside, I'm relieved. I'm like, whoo, I'm glad this motherfucker cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was just thinking that. And uh, then they called my name and wheeled me. And I, and I, at first, I'm frustrated because I'm like, I'll walk with you. Don't wheel me. I don't. My legs work just fine. I know where we need to go. We're going to the ward. I'm not surprised. I'm already, you already told me that, that the drill is. Just walk with me to the ward. Don't help me on the elevator. I'm good, guys. Antonio, we need you in the wheelchair. I said, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine enough where I can walk. There are people in this hospital who need that wheelchair. I don't need it. Antonio, this is, this is, we want to be hospitable with you this way. We'll wheel you in the wheelchair. And I said for the last time, I said, guys, I'm okay. Thank you for your niceness, but I'm fine. They said, this, but we want to do this for you. So I gave up. And they wheeled me to 
the elevator and there were people looking at me compassionately because they seen me walk before and when they saw me in a wheelchair I could tell they had teary faith they had teary eyed looks looks of compassion and empathy they looked heartbroken and they looked like they wanted to say something but when I looked at I glanced at them and stopped look I mean I did look at them because I had to see their faces like I could tell you what their faces look like and you know I remember them just looking so hurt like they they look like they lost their best friend and their mom that they were very close to that's how they looked like they were grieving and so I remember getting being wheeled into the area because they had no more rooms in the ward and when I was um, there I remember nice lady talked to me and I pretty much said and she said Antonio, can you tell me what's going on? I don't, I, you know, by being around you, I get the feeling that people did some evil to you. I said, well, the biggest reason why I'm here is I was molested and that's why I'm here. I said, I'm going to do what I can not to be here long because I know there's other people you got to tend to, but shit hit the fan and that's why I'm fucking here. I did cuss, I did. Like, I can't hide my feelings no more. You may not like how I said what I just said. You may not like my face right now, but... I'm in a ward. I might as well keep it all the way real, right? And I said that look in her eye. And she just looked at me like as if to say, I really got to love on this person. And so she would joke with me at first when I told her those things. She said, I will help you leave Monday. I said, this, how many people know about that phone call? A lot of us, because we have to, a lot of us have to know so we can all coordinate how to contact, you know, your parents and how to help you, how to help you leave, because it takes a lot out of us to make those arrangements. I said, well, like I said, You won't get any problems out of me. As long as y'all keep me safe. As long as you keep patience from... Disrespecting me. As long as y'all do y'all part. Then... I'm fine. Even I don't feel fine. I may look at... A lot of times, but right now I don't, and I don't feel it. And she kept marveling at me, and she said, um, 
it took her a while to say something because she was like, I don't, she kept saying, I don't know what to say. And I, all I want to do is just love on you and, you know, make sure you're okay and help you recover. And then we cracked jokes for a little bit, but as time went for her to go, I was like, I wish I had more time with you. She said, me too. I wish I had more time with you too. I, She was just like, because I know, like, if we keep talking, you'll feel better and that you'll recover faster. I said, is there a way we can have more time? She said, I really wish there was. I would go hell high water to make more time. And she was like, I hope I see you outside of the warden and if I see you once you get out then we'll pick up where we left off that was the last time I saw her and talked with her I remember there are times where the nurses and the women in the ward would look at me in a way that says he's attractive in a way that says He's kind, because they would say these words. They would sometimes talk about me while I'm right there. And I hear them say, well, like, he's a, like, but he's a patient. You know, yeah, you know, yes, I I know Antonio is, oh, Antonio, that's one of our patients. And they would say, but, you know... He is easy on the eyes, and he does articulate himself very well, which I really like, and he is quite nice, and, you know, he I do feel something when I'm around him, and that's what they would talk about all the time, is me. Nothing happened. Nothing obvious happened. It was just, just innuendos and direct frank conversation the innuendos were the way they would look at me or the way they would start whispering looking at me and smiling sometimes i'm like i can hear what y'all saying i see you smiling and they'll start giggling then out loud they would say how they felt about me it's like okay wow you know it's now the flirtation is just direct that's what i remember Being in the ward for me, as I share my very last details about everything, was, yeah, I saw a lot of traumatic things. Like, I saw a lady being changed. Her door was open, and I saw her in the nude, and she looked like she was a person of the senior persuasion. So I did see some traumatic things, like... The outbursts, the profane, um, anger matches, the couple of times one of them tried to provoke me, but then the other person would basically lash out, lash out at them for me, even though I didn't do anything to, even though I didn't do anything. 
they like, you look like one of them college kids. And that's when, and tell him, do you need me to fuck him up for you? Do you need me to yell at him for you? Before I could say no, she's already did it. And I was like, damn. And that happened to me all the time. There's just one dude that was always, he, he did it twice. In fact, he was trying to tell me where to sit. And the nurse was like, sit this way. And then when he said, no, sit here, the nurse said, okay, sit where he wants you to. I was like, wow, this, this is, this is powerful. So I sat, and then I was trying to avoid this dude the whole time. But after a while, he'd be very quiet around me or nice to me. I said, this is interesting. So I remember reading about psych wards in college, and I, and I felt like I would never end up here, but I can't say that anymore. And that, whoo, fucking hurts. Wish I had a different family situation, if you ask me. And left out, and I've never been in a psych ward since. I think that I think that my house was built a payment. I think, actually, it was, and it was paid. Um, I and there was like paperwork I still have from the ward from that time I mean I've read it before and it was quite intense what I read you know about the diagnosis and why I ended up there to begin with um it's real can't say it ain't real. Can't say it's not real. But it's real. So, that's what happened to me when I was in the ward. Um, a couple of times, some of the women there expressed their attraction to me, but nothing happened. That was it. And everybody defended me. I mean, there was one guy who could do, like, he had this gift of, he, he would look at his hands and have his hands talk to each other, and they would start dissing each other in a joning match, like a playing the dozens kind of thing. He was gifted. But I was the main one encouraging him, and everybody around me was like, you, you it would compliment me because... I would forget how shy quiet I was, and I would get lively and in a good way. You're going to be somebody. You're going to go somewhere. You're going to wake up. You're going to pay attention. You got these gifts, man. You funny. You you outspoken. And you theatrical. You got what it takes. And I was just saying the typical things that are atypical in a way because most people don't get those kind of compliments of high kind of compliments. And they were quite fascinated with me. And I remember seeing him a few times outside of the ward. I would I'd be with my parents driving around and he would always be in DC. I would, I saw him a few times just he was homeless but he was walking around. Cause some people go in wards because a ward has clothing and food a place to stay in community that's why some people end up in jail 
you know, some people do bad things just because, you know, they're homeless and they need food, shelter, people around them, and routines. Again, that's why some people end up in psychiatric institutions and jail. And I wish the legal system would really emphasize that issue much more to it for it to be properly solved. And he would look at me as if to say, I remember you. But he wouldn't say it, but his eyes would look like, I remember you, right? And he had an unkempt beard and unkempt hair. Everything about him was unkempt, and I got angry because I said, if you get out of a ward, how are you, How the hell is somebody back on the street with the same issues to help them get in the ward, right? So he wouldn't wave. He would just look at me, let's say, oh, I remember you. And that was it, just around town. That's all that happened in the ward. Yep, I pretty much finished the ward story. And let me tell you some things what my grandma said about... This is a part of... She told my dad um, to make... You know, there's nothing wrong with making sure that you're okay. So this is what happened. This is exactly what happened. She said... she She's been saying to me... Keep disrespect, trauma, drama craziness, stupidity, bullshit, evil, pure evil, toxicity, toxic people and bullshit people outside of your home. She said, I don't want you texting toxic motherfuckers and I don't want toxic motherfuckers texting you. I don't want you calling toxic motherfuckers and I I don't want toxic motherfuckers calling you. Certain mother, she said, toxic motherfuckers should never have your house phone, cell phone, or work phone. I don't want them calling you on your cell, your your home, and your job. And she said, I don't want you calling them on their house number, phone number, and their job. And I don't want you to have those numbers of toxic motherfuckers either. She said, I don't want toxic motherfuckers when you call her ID, and I don't I don't want you to be on the caller ID of toxic motherfuckers. And I remember also her saying to me, this is in spirit. So, you know, my grandma updates what she says to me in spirit. She says, I don't want toxic motherfuckers small talking you. And I don't want you small talking toxic motherfuckers. I don't want you glancing at toxic motherfuckers, and I don't want toxic motherfuckers glancing at you. She says, I don't want you to have full-length conversations with toxic motherfuckers, and I don't want toxic motherfuckers to have full-length conversations with you. I don't want you to... I don't want y'all talking at all. No, no, no combo. She said... I don't want you close to everybody, and I don't want everybody close to you. I don't want you to, I don't want you 
to trust everybody and everybody. It'd be bad if they had warped trusting. She says, I don't mind people trusting. I just don't want people to abuse trust when it comes to you. And that's what happened. And my grandma said, the best way to make sure you're okay is that I know that you continue to rest, take your naps, continue to podcast, continue to write, um, stay away from the news, uh, only use your computer and laptop for writing podcasting, and that's it. She says, I, I love your the promo swaps content collaboration. I think that's cool that that's what you're doing. Keep making podcasting friends. Just keep making friends in general. Um... And she said to me, just keep doing the therapeutic techniques you were taught, and the therapeutic techniques you taught yourself. That's what she meant when she says, make sure that you're okay. She said, I don't want everybody to be your hangout buddy. I don't want everybody to be your talk buddy. I don't want everybody to be your... To be people that you're intimate with. And, you know, she says, I don't want everybody intimate with you. She says, I don't want you to have sex with everybody. I don't want everybody having sex with you. Um, she says, speaking of sex, and I got to say this. This is how you really make sure you're okay. Don't fuck dumbass people. Don't fuck assholes. Don't fuck pure evil people. Only fuck positive people. Only make love to them. Only have sex with them. People like yourself, you're a positive person. Yes. That's what she said to me. And I I was first said to her and she sent it back to me. And I uh, learned a lot about depression and how it can pigsty. And so now I'm a neat freak more than ever. And I, and to tell you the truth, I've been so depressed that I don't always shave. And I decided sometime this week, um, either today, either tomorrow, Friday, or the weekend, one of the weekdays, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to start shaving again. Because I've been so depressed for months that I haven't been shaving my very hairy body. I got hair everywhere. I got the werewolf gene. And so I'm just keeping it real. And so I decided I'm going to shave because I remember, and I'm going to tell you the truth, I remember accidentally cutting myself a little bit of my pubic hair. So I had to put on the white gel bandage. And that area 
was brown because my I have brown skin caramel it was more brown it was browner more caramel when after the healing was over I said wow it healed better because my skin got darker and pubic hair was just fine there was a little more of it after I healed I was like okay even the hair was it looked more polished and it was and the thickness looked cuter. So I was afraid to shave because of that. Now that fear is gone. I was, you know, I make sure there's less hair down the drain when I'm done. I'm keeping it real. I don't give a fuck. So, hey, if I can help somebody, it's all good. And, yeah, I got over my fear of shaving and, um, I got, I love my white gel bandages. Oh, man. But let me tell you how those bandages work, okay? So I use the Hydro Pell, right? The Hydro Seal. Okay. Yep, I'm going to go in on this one. So it's, I actually use the 10-pack of Band-Aid brand, durable adhesive bandages for heel blisters with six benefits in one bandage provides an optimal healing environment and all-purpose wound care protection in semi-translucent bandage material that blends with your skin the hydrocolloid bandage is designed for long-term wear and shows you that the healing process has started this bandage helps prevent formation of scabs which prolongs healing Multi-purpose bandage is suitable for many wound types and can be used anywhere on the heel of the foot that stays on even through showers. The, this waterproof bandage um, provides the optimal wound healing environment designed to provide cushioning against painful blisters or wounds and shields from further rubbing. Advanced first aid Bandage prevents wound from drying out and locks body's natural healing power, which it's dual action seal, sealing out dirt, germs, and water. The these hydrocolloid gel bandages adhere to the skin with ease and cushion the skin to prevent re-injury. Wounds cover band a brand adhesive bandages heal fast and uncovered wounds and reduce the risk of infection and scarring. For best results, clean cuts or scrapes thoroughly with an antiseptic wash and allow to dry. Then treat the wound with topical antibiotic ointment such as Neurosporin and cover with a Band-Aid brand adhesive bandage. Alright? So, basically, okay, there's more. So you can wear this multi-days in the shower. Band-Aid brand hydrosil bandages helps keeps germs out in your body's natural healing power in. Made with hydrocolloid gel, these waterproof bandages provide advanced wound care and cushion to help protect blisters. Within 24 hours of application, a white bubble will form under the bandage to show that the healing process has begun. Ideal for use in the chest, arm, and legs. The extra large 
bandages deliver multi-day protection, as I said, and stay on even and stay on even through hand washing and showers. Band-Aid brand hydro seal bandages are sterile and not made with natural rubber latex. This package contains individually wrapped extra-large bandages from the number one doctor-recommended bandage brand. So yeah, those are the those are my favorite bandages to use. White gels, love them. And I do want to say that I no longer feel like I'm selfish. I was never selfish, but I was made to feel selfish by the the, the ones who raped me. Who, <laughs> you know, the passive aggression is gone from my life, and now. I have all the assertive techniques I use and all, you know, I have healthy boundaries in my life, which I'm grateful for. Um, yeah, let's see if I, can say something. This is what I can say here are the healthy boundaries that my grandma and I have we do say no or yes and we are okay when others say no or yes to us we have a strong sense of identity we respect ourselves others and each other we are, we expect reciprocity in our relationships we share responsibility and power Concerning problems, we are an excellent conflict resolution team. As for personal private information, we believe in safe spacing, safe gracing, and safe havening. We do not tolerate abuse or disrespect. In fact, we never tolerate abuse nor disrespect. We know our own wants, needs, and feelings. We communicate them clearly in our relationships, self, and others. Relationships, think of Think of self and others, parentheses. Okay. We're committed to and responsible for exploring and nurturing our full potential. We're responsible for our own happiness and fulfillment. We allow others to be responsible for their own happiness and fulfillment. We value our opinions and feelings as much as others. We know our limits and define our limits. We allow others to know and define their limits. We ask for help only when we truly need it. We never compromise our values or our integrity to avoid rejection and aloneness and aloneness. And my grandma and I basically agreed that if there are, once you recognize somebody's toxic, because sometimes people come up positive, but once you recognize that they're toxic, keep those shit cans out of our motherfucking positive castle of royalty. <laughs>